All right, well, good morning. Yeah, we clap for that. Yeah, guys, welcome to Mercy Fellowship, where we are saved by Jesus' work. We are changed by Jesus' grace, and we are living on Jesus' mission. And that means that we believe that we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ who love God and who love people. And, and last week uh, was just an awesome celebration uh, out at North Cove Park in Lake Stevens. Um, dozens of volunteers involved in making that happen, and apparently um, you know, a, a cookie hamburger. Um, I mean, hey, I'm, I'm here for it, right? Carbs on carbs on carbs. Um, and so that was great. Um, we, we had a family, actually, like, like at Conrad's, Y'all just rolled up uh, in your paddle boards. Uh, and so that's commuting. That's how we do it in Lake Stevens. You roll up in a paddle board. Here in Marysville, the train's gonna go by three times during the sermon. So that's, that's just how it's gonna go today. So um, no, super excited uh, last week. Excited to be with you guys this week. But I mean, we had baptisms, um, which was awesome. Uh, and uh, the staff and my family and everyone let me know um, that, I mean, it's possible that we may never have another uh, baptism at Mercy Fellowship again uh, because I plugged everyone's noses when I baptize them. Uh, and so, I mean, like, that's not how you're supposed to roll. Like, I've done dozens of baptisms. The people plug their noses, and then you dunk them. And I was just like, by the power of the Holy Spirit, boom, you're in, you're out. And um, so, I mean, if that ends up on, like, a spiritual abuse blog or something, I, I get it. Um, so, yeah, that's what we got going on. No, it's, it's a joy to gather with you guys this morning. Um, today, we are going to conclude the series uh, that we began in the spring in the book of 1 John called Abide, Life in Christ, Life with Christ. And so uh, on your way in, hopefully you got one of our discipleship guides. We're going to be in week 12. Uh, we also have uh, our scripture journals in 1 John. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 uh, through 21 today. Uh, wrapping up this, this letter uh, that John, uh, who is, you know, at the end of his ministry, he's in his 80s, in his 90s, he's writing to a younger church, and he writes this letter, um, not, not as much like Paul does with kind of, here's the gospel, here's some instructions, but the way John writes is John writes like a sermon, and even more than that, a, a poetic sermon. So he's constantly coming back to different points of repetition, and, and he's constantly, you know, putting in some poetic imagery in there. And so he's writing this sermon to this church that he loves, to this church that he cares about, and he wants to reinforce for them, what is your identity in Christ? And how does that play out in your life now and life forever? Uh, and so um, this word that he uses over and over again is one that, that Jesus used to describe what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And, and that word is abide. So each week we've been defining this word because we don't use it, um, you know, in regular conversation all the time. And so abide means to, to not depart, right? You're, you're not going not gonna to leave. You're not going to be left. To be held and kept continually. And that's even a, a held together. So there's, there's even a communal aspect to what abiding life in Christ looks like. To endure, to not perish, to, to remain as one, again, that, that's that unity piece. And then not just to survive, although that's part of it, but also to, to live and, and, and Lord willing, ultimately to, to thrive. And so John and, and of course Jesus before him is saying, hey, in order to have a life that is secure spiritually, is unified with other believers, uh, helps you endure hardship, helps you to persevere and enjoy life now and endure into eternity, the only way you're gonna have that life is if it's connected to, in, and with the work of Jesus Christ. 
His life for yours, his death you deserve, his resurrection giving you new life now and new life forever. And so for us, we kind of live our lives and, and there's aspects of that word abide that we are trying to find in all sorts of other ways. So we're, we're trying to find coping mechanisms to the trauma that's been done to us. We're trying to, to just, you know, you know, white knuckle, bear it, make it through a tough season uh, when there's, there's societal challenges, economic challenges. Like I'm just gonna make it and we wanna find ourselves becoming more and more self-reliant or we start to grasp onto different things that we think are gonna lead to survival for us. So we might grab onto a political ideology. If we can just get the right people in office, everything's gonna be great, you know, happy times are, are here again. Or, or if, if, you know, if I just get a different job, you know, you know then, then that's gonna be better, right? You, you know, if I just had a little more money, if my kids would behave better, you know, wh whatever it is, you know, like, then life is gonna begin, then life is gonna be okay. And that's not what John is saying. John's saying, no, those can all be fine things. Those are, those are all, in, in some regards, good things. But what John's gonna do here in these last verses is he's gonna draw a comparison between what eternal life with Christ looks like and then also how we search for life through what the Bible calls idols, which are um, just you know, often uh, created things rather than the creator. They're, they're things that actually, again, for the most part, can be good, but we put them in the place of God and then they demand that we serve them and we hope that somehow in service to these idols that we'll end up finding peace, that we'll have relational wholeness, that we'll have forgiveness, redemption, and ultimately they, they come up empty. And so as John's kind of landing the plane on his sermon and we're gonna, you know, close out these last verses of 1 John, that's the big contrast that he's gonna make for us between eternal life and life of, you know, what the Bible would say is idolatry. Um, and so here we go, 1 John 5, verses 13 through 15, and then I'm gonna throw in the last verse at the end as well. 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 through 15, it says this. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have towards him, he's talking about God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. And then I want you, if you've got your Bibles or scripture journal or, or your little app of the app, scroll down to verse 21. Last verse of this sermon. This is how John closes it. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. So, so that's why I'm saying that, that, that John is drawing this contrast between eternal life and idol life. And so as we, we work through some, some themes in these verses, um, you know, that's kind of where I'm gonna be playing with uh, today. And so we, we've defined abide. This is what life is in Christ, right? Survival, being together, thriving, all these things. Um, I do wanna give us a definition of idolatry. Um, actually, it's interesting. On my drive-in, um, uh, my, one of my youngest daughter, Phoebe, she goes, hey, dad, by the the way, I know what ideology means. And I was like, okay, I don't really know where this is coming from. And she's like, it means that you worship something that's created rather than the creator. And I was like, well, first of all, 
like awesome that she knows that, except that, that's, that's not ideology, sweetheart, that's, that's idolatry. And she's like, oh, okay. She's like, I learned that at Sunday school at one of the Acts 29 churches we visited. I was like, all right, that's discipleship, that's great. That's a good working definition of idolatry. Worshiping something like God that was actually made by God, or, or even really just something that we make ourselves. Um, if you want a little more in-depth than the eight-year-old version, which is, is good, um, uh, Tim Keller, uh, pastor, theologian, uh, just, just passed this year, um, he defines idolatry like this. What is an idol, he says? It is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give you. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I had that, I would feel like my life has meaning. Then I'll know that I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. He goes on to say, if there's many ways to describe that kind of relationship to something, but perhaps the best one is worship. So it's about your heart's affections. It's about the attitudes and worldview you have. And it is about your actions. And when we are in, like, I mean, that's a broad category, right? I mean, these are, it can be even really good things. Your family, your job, um, your community, sports, your hobbies, like all good things. But if you are looking to them for meaning, looking to them for purpose, looking for them to somehow give you that, that peace and assurance that everything is okay, they may actually succeed for a moment. Because of course there's enjoyment in almost all those arenas. But when they become the thing, there starts to be diminishing returns. And eventually something that gave you life and excited you and were like and gave you promise ends up becoming something that enslaves you and rots you spiritually from the inside. And so John's drawing this contrast between these two things. Um, you know, he's writing to this church, and this church, is, this church has endured a lot. I mean, this church, I mean, the church, but I mean the church that John is talking to as well. Throughout this letter, we've, we've seen that, that they've endured persecution. I mean, legit persecution. Not just like, hey, there's no political candidates that share our religion. Not, not that there's like, oh, you know, there's not making a big deal about it, you know, at Christmas time at stores. Like, like no, I mean like legitimate, like boiled alive, eaten by lions persecution. And, and they've dealt with um, internally in their church, false teachers rising up, trying to give a different answer to the question, where does life come, where does hope come, than Jesus Christ. And they're subtle. And it's been difficult because, because it's confused people, it's led people astray spiritually. And then they've also seen folks deconstruct their faith and, and fall away and, and reject the faith that they had and so, I mean, this church has been hurting that John's writing to. And multiple times in, his, in this letter, he says, this is why I've written to you. Um, but John, when he wrote his gospel in John 20, uh, 13, he says uh, to the church again, the reason he's writing these things, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, Savior, King of God's people, that he is the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you might have life in his name. So the whole purpose of why John writes his, his gospel that you see, the account of Jesus' life, the whole reason he writes this letter, he's saying is, is I want you to know where eternal life is 
profound. That faith in Christ is that initiating and continuing act of belief in, faith in, and trust in Jesus. That's what initiates, but then I think there's this disconnect that happens for us where we're like, yeah, yeah, hey, last week people got baptized. That's awesome. Beginning of a new journey. Praise God. But then some of us are 10 years, 20 years past baptism. And, 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 or that, that, that initial like, okay, my faith and trust is in Jesus. And we've been given this promise of eternity with God, but we're also like, but what about today? Because uh, I'll just be frank, um, you know, I, I do think that the promises of God are something that are, are worthy to, to stir not just our imaginations, but our affections. I mean, about a perfect new heavens and new earth? Come on, let's go. Like, that sounds fantastic, right? Uh, about a place where there's no more sickness, suffering, or tears? Absolutely. Where there's no more addiction, where there's no more sin, where there's no more relational discord and separation, where there's no more pride, like where there's no more injustice? Like, I mean, I'm all in. Let's, let, let's go do that. That sounds great. I, except, I mean, th that's a day that's coming. What about today? What about right now? in your marriage, in your life, in our communities, in our schools? Like, 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 what about life right now? Because I think it's interesting that John starts off saying, I'm writing to you so you might have eternal life, and then doesn't start to talk about, like, the new heavens and new earth. I mean, John also wrote Revelation because he'd been given this vision of the new heavens and new earth, but when he's talking to Christian believers, people who said, yeah, I'm in on Team Jesus, he says, I want you to know you have eternal life, and then he doesn't remind them all about heaven. He, he's like, now let me just tell you, hey, I want to talk to you about prayer. I want to talk to you about enduring. I want to talk to you about the, the church community you're a part of. I want to talk to you about discipleship. I want to talk about how you love one another. I want to talk about how you repent of sin. I want to talk about how you confess. Like, whoa, that's a bit of a whiplash because, I mean, I don't know about you. I don't know how you grew up, um, but a lot of us grew up in church where all we heard about with eternal life was you get to go to heaven when you die. Now, that's true, okay? Like, like you get somebody who, who comes up and is like, hey, you guys, <laughs> newsflash, hell's not real. <laughs> Big relief, you know, right? Um, you know, and, and um, you know, heaven, you know, it's just whatever we want to make of it. Like, I mean, I, I don't even listen, right? That's not what the Bible teaches. And that's like, we're, we're being saved from an eternity of spiritual separation from God. That, that is what's being offered. But when he's offering us eternal life and he's saying, no, you, you have eternal life. He's not saying someday you're gonna get eternal life. He's saying when you abide in Christ, when your faith is in Christ, when you're saying, I I'm a Christian, then he's saying you are in possession of eternal life now. And so the response to that, he's saying at that last verse is, so keep yourself from idols. Like, possess and live into and enjoy and engage and be empowered by eternal life now. Quit pursuing idols that are promising you life today but aren't delivering on anything. That's the call he's given. And so, um, you know, I, I think we, we just got to get back to our understanding of, of what is eternal life, and I just, I want to drill this point home. Um, you know, if we are only focusing on the future promises, um, for one, I, I, I need hope today. 
I've got friends with cancer. I've got friends with addiction. I've got friends whose marriages are hurting. Like, I, I want better life for them today. I've got fear and trepidation about the direction of our country or all sorts of other challenges that are going on economically and, and all sorts of frustrations that happen in ministry. I want eternal life today. I don't want to wait. Now, don't hear me wrongly. I'm not saying, hey, I want it all perfect now. I mean, again, I would like that. We should long for that. In fact, I think that God has designed us for eternity so that we would long for something better than what can satisfy us today. But I certainly want to believe in a God and a good news of the gospel that provides us power, provision, life today. And instead what we do is we go tell the world, hey, um, we've got this good news for you. We've got this free gift of the gospel. And we sell the world short because we treat the gospel like this. When I was a kid, I don't remember which birthday it was. I think it was seven or eight years old. I remember getting from one of my grandparents, I don't remember which one, a savings bond. Does anybody know what a savings bond is? I don't even know if they're things anymore. What a savings bond was is, is like, like you buy, you go to the bank and it's you know, some of the U.S. Treasury and economics and I don't know. Um, but you, you essentially like you give them 25 or 50 bucks or something and then, and then they give you a savings bond that says 100 bucks on it that matures in like seven years or eight years. So you get this piece of paper that says $100. And again, I think my grandparents spent like 25 on it, whatever, I'm not complaining. Okay, I am, it clearly hurt. Um, and you're like, hey, like, mom, I'm feeding for some Legos. Like, can we, let's go use this. And she's like, no, 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 let me just take that card. Uh, I'm gonna take that savings bond. We're gonna put it in a file folder way in the back, back with like all of your kindergarten artwork, which apparently my mom saved for some reason. It wasn't very good. We just got it delivered to our house about a year ago. I think it's in the trash now, okay? Um, but that's where it lives. There was, well, this is a savings bond. And I think I got some others and maybe they were like gonna do more. And, I, and, and, like, and then like later on, you know, when I was a freshman in college, it's like, congratulations, here's your $100 savings bond that you got when you were eight. And I was like, cool, that buys half of, uh, of a human sexuality textbook that tells me all sorts of real bad things. Cool. That's, that's not eternal life. That's not a great gift. But somehow we, we believe that the gospel's just that eternal life you get, which again, please don't hear me undersell that. But what John is saying here is, if your faith and trust is in Jesus, there's access to power now. There's chains of addiction broken now. There's healing of relationships now. There's hope today. And so eternal life is absolutely future life, but it's also life today. And that's just so dramatically different than idle life. See, eternal life... Um, is a life of ongoing dependence, right? Uh, verse 13, he says, I want you to know that you have eternal life. Verse 14, this is the confidence we have towards him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So John's first application of, I want you to know you have eternal life is all of a sudden being in a place of, of, of great ongoing dependence. He goes from you have life forever. So now start asking for stuff. Okay, I don't mean all the cool stuff, like, like, you know, just I want more things. 
He's saying, no, no, you're gonna have an ongoing life of dependence. Eternal life with Christ. Abiding in Christ is a life of ongoing dependence. Whereas idle life is forever slavery. Those are the contrasts he's drawing. See, I, I think um, we, we struggle with this almost particularly as, as uh, Westerners and, and even particularly as Americans. We struggle with this idea of dependence because, right, we love independence. I mean, you know, 4th of July, uh, you know, we apparently spent thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars uh, over on the res to just blow stuff up and everybody's super excited about America. It's great. I mean, by, by we, I don't mean me. I, I, I don't buy money on fireworks. I just watch other people light their money on fire. It's great. We love independence. And from a young age, right, you know, we, we want to, our goal, life goals, independence. Like, I want to get out of the house. I want to get out from under my parents' rule, right? And okay, that's fine, growing towards maturity. And then we, we get a job or we start to get a career and, and we get a boss. Definitely want to be independent from the boss, right? So like, let's just go make a bunch of money. Let's start a business. Let's, let's be our own boss. Let's be more independent, and then we're like, okay, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm part of a church. I'm part of a faith community. You know, all right, you know there's, there's a community that shapes us. You know what? Ah, too repressive. I don't want that. I want to just be my own thing. And we keep pushing and pushing for more independence when, when what we realize is, is actually we're called in Christ not to, um, not to independence. We're actually called to radical dependence. So um, the Bible begins actually with um, God creating everything good, creating humanity wholly dependent on God. You're in the garden, they're eating food, this is where life comes from. And then there was an independence day where humanity said, we are declaring our independence from God. We can do this better. Freedom. Disconnected from the source of life, of joy, of purpose. So the call of the gospel is one that does absolutely lead to freedom. The Bible says that where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom, right? But it's not freedom to be independent. It's freedom from your slavery of sin, your slavery of serving idols, your slavery of serving yourself to actual freedom to be dependent on the God who made you. It is a call to radical dependence. And, and that's what John's saying here in, in talking about prayer. What's, I mean, he's saying, right? You have confidence towards him if we ask anything. I mean, what's that petition? That's prayer. This is what John is saying. Life in Jesus Christ. Abide in his word and prayer. And you're like, wait, it's Sunday. Pastor says, Jesus Bible prayer. Do you got anything else? Anything new? I mean, I'm really hurting today. If you could give me something really specific to my situation, that'd be helpful. This is the playbook. Eternal life in Jesus Christ, your identity hidden in his, your soul protected by him, your ability then to, with confidence, to, to confess sin, to walk in humility, to, to recognize you're not the hero of your own story, to desire and, 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 and ask for the Holy Spirit's power to bring you reconciliation, to bring you joy, to bring you peace on your sleepless nights. That's all there. And he's saying, you can pray. 
Like you can actually pray about your issue. You can actually bring your petitions to God and you can do so with great confidence because God knows you. He, he sees Jesus Christ in your place. All of the access that Jesus has to God the Father, you and I now have through prayer. If our faith and trust is in Jesus, it says he's at the right hand of the Father bringing our petitions to him. And so we find ourselves in places where we need to see the captive set free. And that happens through faith and life in Christ. And so prayer fundamentally is a declaration of dependence. It's coming to God and saying, I, I don't got this. I don't know what's next. Uh, I know what I've done and it hasn't worked. I know the situation is real, you know, jacked up, right? There's train number one if you're counting. Okay. Um, I know that I am powerless to actually fix this. I've tried to fix this a whole bunch of ways. I've, I've willed for other people to see their addictions broken and, and I can't do it and, and, I, and I can't tell them anymore, just fix yourself because that doesn't work. It's coming to God and saying, I am dependent on you for everything. That heartbeat I have is yours. That breath that I have is yours. Thank you for that gratitude, dependence, and reliance. And it's declaring not just your dependence on God, our dependence on God, but it's then also declaring the power of God, the love of God, the wisdom of God, the sufficiency of God to be able to address those situations, to be able to bring life where there was death, to break chains of addiction, to heal like, like, like broken souls, to breathe new life into relationships, to provide for us today, to give us vision and hope for tomorrow. That is, that's what we're being called to in abiding life with Christ. And so eternal life is a life of ongoing petition. It is okay to realize your life in Christ is going to be one every day that you're gonna be dependent on God. And that shouldn't lead you to, oh man, gosh, it's been a week since I've prayed or it's been months since I've prayed and, and whatever, like, am I out? Am I in? Like, you know, it's not, did you pray so you could have eternal life? It's we get to pray because we have eternal life. We have access. Eternal life is a life of ongoing petition. Idle life is a life of ongoing manipulation. See, instead of going to God, who's our heavenly father, uh, we go to these idols and, and, and try to fix ourselves or, or try to serve them. And what happens is, okay, if I do this, you know, th then maybe this outcome will happen. Um, anyone uh, early in marriage uh, ever played uh, the game called, uh, well, if I just serve my wife well, then everything will go great. And some, maybe some of you in your marriages right now are like, actually, if, if you could start playing that game, that'd be awesome. But like, you start to think like, well, okay, I mean like, I did the dishes and I helped put the kids away and I did these chores and all these things and like, why, why is she not excited to be with me at this point? I, I mean, I did the things. 
It doesn't work that way. Right? Ever just poured yourself into some sort of endeavor, hoping it's going to lead you to actual joy and satisfaction, and then it just doesn't deliver? Anybody ever failed a business? Anybody ever had a major setback in a relationship? Right? We pour in it, but we keep thinking, okay, if I just give a little bit more, if I just do a little bit more, if I just work a little harder, it's going to get better. That's the idle life. That's, that's a life of manipulation. If I just pull the right levers, it's going to happen. No, no. What we're called to is not a life of manipulation, but a life of ongoing petition. Okay. Eternal life is this. Eternal life is a confident life. Idle life is an insecure life. Eternal life is a confident life. Idle life is an insecure life. See, it, it says here, and for, again, verse 14, this is the confidence we have towards him. So it's saying, hey, I know I can go to God because he's a good and loving father. And even when I say that, some of us have had good dads, some of us have had bad dads, some of us have had no dads. And so we hear, go to God, your father. And we start to think, okay, God's a father. Let me think about my father. I'll think about myself as a father. Um, I, I, I do wonder when my kids are, are older, what pattern that they'll see from me. And one of them, I'm, I'm certain that they'll see that's not favorable, and it's this. Um, there's a lot of times where I'm super excited to, to chat with them. I care about their problems. Um, you know, I, I want to help them. Uh, you know, I, I want to be encouraging and engaging. Uh, and then there's any time after 9.45. Some parents are laughing. After 9.45... I am not as interested in your problems. And I'm not as accessible. And certainly, if you've been put to bed, I mean, couldn't you have gotten water already? Right? We know. Like, you knew that bedtime was coming. Right? And, and so, like, and, you know, my, my wife scolds me on this often because I, I'm worthy of scolding on this often. But they're running upstairs, Dad, I need, and I'm like, ah! Figure it out. I think we think that's how God works. I got a problem, I'm really hurting, or I just need water, or I don't know, whatever. I just need some refreshment. God, ah, mm, figured out. That's not how God works. Like we think like, we think like if we come to God in, in petition, in, in reliance, as people who possess eternal life, that we're gonna come to God as a father, and, and, and before we even get our problem out, or, 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 or the, the longing of our heart shared with him, he, where he's like, ah, mm, I got a lot going on. I mean, there's certainly other things going on in the world, worse than whatever you got going on, right? I'm really busy right now. Have you read the book? I gave you a book. Did you read the book? Well, no, I haven't read the book yet. Okay, go read the book. And then if that doesn't answer your questions, then I'll talk to you. That's not how God works. That's how religion works. Hey, just go find the verse and I'll fix you. Hey, big time relying on the word of God. Okay, we believe these are the words of God, Holy Spirit inspired through human authors. We believe this is where life comes from because it points us to Jesus. So again, don't hear me minimizing the Bible. But we can go to God in prayer, it says, with great confidence that he hears us, that God wants to know about the problems in your life, that God's a loving father, that actually he's already aware 
He just wants to see your heart shaped and conformed to where it needs to be. And so, you know, an idle life is insecure because we keep going back to wells that don't provide water. It's like going back to the refrigerator that still doesn't have anything. It's packed with food, but nothing to eat. That's what our idols are. You keep going to them and you just keep feeling more and more insecure. So, you know, go to God and go to God with great confidence. The eternal life is a conformed life. And so part of this life that we live with God in Christ, even through prayer, is one where God is changing and shaping our hearts. So God won't always address our circumstances, but he absolutely always will address the condition of our hearts. And so it's a call here to pray with, in some parts, correct motives. Right, there's this little phrase in verse 14. I know we're camping out here a lot, guys. Don't worry. Uh, we're still gonna close it out on time. Verse 14. We have confidence towards him that if we ask anything, and I bracketed this in my Bible, according to his will, he hears us. So what he's saying is, hey, there's a, in part of our reliance of God in prayer, part of possessing and engaging with the eternal life that we have in God is our hearts being conformed to the will of God. That like, to, to be clear, um, God always hears your prayers. So don't think like, oh gosh, I better get that prayer right and make sure it's according to God's will. Like, if you pray something that's not what God wants for you, he's not gonna be like, dang it, I wish they would have asked for the right thing. No, but, but through the process of prayer, through the process of confession and, and reliance on God, there's a conforming of our hearts. And so God agrees with our prayers when our prayers agree with his will. God agrees with our prayers when our prayers agree with his will. He hears our hearts and he also changes hearts. And I think that's fantastic, right? I mean, Jesus demonstrates this, right? God, not my will, but your will be done. When he's praying in the garden right before his arrest and execution, so I think no matter what you're suffering with or dealing with or engaging with is you want to possess and engage with eternal life today, it's okay to say, God, here's how I think this should work out. I mean, I've, I've had multiple times where I've had lots of, lots of solutions for lots of problems or issues or challenges that I've faced or that we've faced as a church. God, if you could fix it this way, that'd be really great. But there better be some openness to, we're coming to God because he's God. That means he's wise and powerful. And so we gotta have some openness in our heart disposition to say, God, this is how I see this going. God, it'd be awesome if you can move things this way, but also I trust your plan in this and that your plan not only is good, but is better than mine. Okay. God changes hearts through prayer. I think he also does it in part through community. Like, how do you get to community through? I mean, I get how you get to prayer on this verse, but here we go, verses 16 and 17. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there's a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that anyone should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin. But there is sin that does not lead to death. So, um, 
theologians have kind of debated and wrestled with what those verses have meant for a couple thousand years. So I'm not going to come to you pridefully to assume that I've just nailed it on this one. So here's what I think this is saying. I think this is John giving a call to eternal life being formed and shaped in community. That eternal life is a life of, that is others focused, where idle life is self-focused and isolated. See, John ta- has been talking about eternal life, he's been talking about prayer, and now he's shifted to, what do we do when we see sin? What do we do with our brothers and sisters in Christ when we see them walking in sin? And interestingly, he doesn't give instructions for how for you to immediately confront them and call them out and condemn them. In fact, what he says, you know, hey, um, hey, sin is bad. All wrongdoing, he says, is sin. It separates you from God. It separates you from one another when we sin against each other. It gives us shame. I mean, when we've sinned, we feel shame. We don't even want help. We pull away. We pull back. That, that's idle life. That's the idol of your um, Self-image being more important than, than self-denial um, leading to actual reliance on God and ultimately glory. And so he's saying, hey, when you see this issue, this challenge, it's a call to pray for your brothers. It's a call to pray for your sisters. It's a call to, again, go back to God and petition. God, work in their lives and hearts in only the ways that you can. Because none of us can heal ourselves and we certainly can't fix other people. But all of us can have a position of humility where we're reliant on God and we believe in a God who changes circumstances, yes, but also changes hearts, who who leads to repentance, which leads to restoration and joy. And so when we do see our brothers and sisters in Christ, walking in sin or engaging in sin or shipwrecking their lives. It, it's, it's okay at moments to not, not lead to, to condemnation, but to, to, to conviction to say, hey, have you considered where this path goes? And have you considered that, that you're a new creation in Christ so you don't have to fall into your old habits? That you possess eternal life now so you don't have to continually walk in slavery of sin now? that what we're doing in that moment with our brothers and sisters in Christ is not calling them somehow to fix themselves, but rather we're calling them to walk in the eternal life that they already possess in Christ. That no matter how bleak and dark your situation is, that there is a path forward in and through Jesus. That's what we're calling people to. And so um, we're praying for them to live as the new creations that they already are. And then for unbelievers, um, I think this is important as well, just, just for our own sanity. Our prayers and hope for those people whose faith and trust is not in Jesus. Um, when we see sin, when we see brokenness, it can't just be, gosh, I just, I just hope that you'd fix your marriage so you can have a better life. Or, God, I know you don't believe in Christ, but gosh, I just hope that you would vote with me so that our team can be in charge and then, and then things will get better. Or, gosh, I just, I just hope 
that you will just figure out which gender you really are and, and, and you can just, things can align better because this is really challenging. No, it's not. Gosh, I just hope you won't be an addict anymore because that's a tough life. Again, those can be okay things. But the prayer is it. I hope you quit walking in idolatry because you're trying to find life in something that's not going to provide it. I hope instead that you'll actually realize how reliant you are for everything and that you would not declare your independence from God, but you would declare your dependence on God and Jesus Christ. That your allegiance and your actions and your affections would no longer be towards these idols, but would be towards the creator God of the universe who knows you and loves you has given you a path for eternal life now, today, and forever when your faith is in Christ. Now, faith in Jesus absolutely has implications for your marriage, for your sexuality, for gender, for politics, for economics, for parenting. Yes and amen. But our greatest prayer is not that people would fix their lives so they're just a little easier to deal with or align with us better but that people would have access in, to the eternal life that comes and abides with Jesus alone. And so we pray for, we pray for unbelievers to have new life. And we pray for believers to have life that they already have access to and just need to walk in. Okay, guys. Just gonna let the train finish out there, okay? All right, last verses, guys. Been in this journey in the book of 1 John since Easter. Here we are. Last verses, verses 18 through 21, says this, and then we'll close. These last reminders that John has for us and for his church. We know that everyone who's been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the son of God has come and he's given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true in his son, Jesus Christ. He's the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Eternal life knows the truth and knows that life only comes in the truth and the way and the life that comes through Jesus Christ alone. Idol life believes lies. Yep, lies about Jesus, lies about God, lies about even our ability to heal ourselves. So John, as he's landing this plane, he says, hey guys, I just want to remind you what is true. We've been born of God we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Like, like, yeah, the world has challenges. Yeah, there's pain. Yeah, it's, it might be rough for a while. Just know the evil one can't touch you. Just know you will endure. Know that you will persevere through. Yeah, the world that, that is perishing, it's perishing because it's under the power of the evil one. It's gonna be rough for a while, but do not fear. Do not lose heart. God overcomes the world so we can have hope so that we can have peace, so that we can have joy. 
And as we get discouraged, we get our heads down and we take our licks, we're dealing with difficult situations. Don't go back to empty wells. Don't go back to idols, hoping that somehow they're the ones that are gonna bring your life. Just turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will go strangely dim. Yeah, there are practical solutions to the real world problems we're facing and we should press into those when we need to. But it needs to be under and in the idea and understanding that eternal life today only comes when we're abiding in Christ. That God's gonna be the one that brings a solution to our problems. That God's gonna be the one that cares and carries our souls. And so I just wanna ask you, what do you need to turn from worshiping right now so that you can enjoy and be empowered and be equipped with the eternal life that God has for you today? An eternal life knowing that we serve God, that, that, that idols will never succeed for us. The eternal life, I just want you to know, it, it's yours. It's there for you. It's there for you when you come with humble reliance, when you declare your dependence and simply trust Jesus. Let's pray.